You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Tua knew where he was going right away. I would have hit that little man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown sixth pass touchdown of, of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's a Friday on a Wednesday. We've got Week 12 picks, we've got your mailbag questions, we've got assistant coaches audio, plus Mike McDaniel, as we do on the sound bites of the week portion of the pod, and the perspective from Houston with the voice of the Houston Texans, Mark Vandermeer, from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and welcome in my guest today, the voice of the Houston Texans, Mark Vandermeer. And joining me now is the voice of the Houston Texans. He's the VB of broadcasting. You can find him on the Texans game day call. And he used to reside down here in our neck of the woods as the voice of the Miami Hurricanes. He's Mark Vandermeer. And Mark, I've heard this from Texas folks. I had a podcast with Jakeem Grant a while back, and he gave me the Houston versus, or the Texas, I should say, versus South Florida comparison. But help us settle it once and for all. The heat and humidity, who gets it worse, (laughs) South Florida or Texas? Okay, I uh, I actually ask all the people, all the players who come from South Florida and all the former Canes and everybody like that, this question, and I'm going to settle it for you once and for all, Travis. Miami is way more humid than Houston. There's no question about that. The air is so thick. It's like the line in Rudolph, thick as peanut butter, right? <laughs> That's the air in South Florida in the summer. But it's hotter in Houston. So to me, it's a drier heat. Now, if you say that to people here, they freak out on you. It's not Arizona. I know it's not Arizona, but it's hotter in Houston. It's just more humid in Miami. It's good. Yeah, that's perfect. Because when they would say that about Texas, I'm like, I don't know, man, I've been down here for a couple of years now and it's, Ooh, it's rough. Like you mentioned, it's that it's just like not being able to catch your breath sometimes if you're, you know, even doing anything remotely, you know, that is an exercise. Like it's just, Ooh, it catches up to you fast, but I mean, that's our players playing it every day too. So it's a, a nod to their conditioning and, and certainly out there in Texas as well. Another similarity between the two regions, young quarterbacks for the local football teams. Uh, Davis Mills is gaining valuable experience this year. What would you make of his second year so far now? I think 10 games in for Houston. And how would you say he's grown from his rookie season? Well, it's funny because it's hard to evaluate Mills, and it's been tough without looking at the big picture here, the whole offense, right? And last year, in the final five games of the season, he played much better than he had earlier on because he was thrust into the lineup way too soon in his rookie season after Tyrod Taylor went down a game and a half into the campaign. And then Mills sat for a while as Taylor came back. Then he came back out there, and he played well. But this year, the numbers aren't good. Uh, There's been a diminishment on returns here, and I think it's a collective thing. But last year we thought, hey, if they run the ball a bit better, it should be there with the passing game. For whatever reason, it's not. Now you have a new system here with Pep Hamilton as opposed to Tim Kelly, and they're running a more 
Patriot-like scheme, O'Brien, Kelly, Belichick-type scheme last year. This year, they've changed it up a bit with Pep Hamilton. And I asked him, is it a West Coast offense? He said, it's a no-coast offense. <laughs> so it's, it's a different kind of system, but it hasn't really worked the way they wanted it to. They're running the ball well with Damian Pierce, but Mills' numbers have been down, and that's a bit of an issue here is you want to have – a lot of production because you want to know where you are at quarterback with this organization, Travis. You want to know going into the offseason, you're going to have two first-round draft choices because of the trade they made with Cleveland for Deshaun Watson. So do they need a quarterback or not? They have to evaluate all those things. That's why you'd love to have Mills be wonderful here with the numbers. And then you could spend those two ones on other stuff. So I'm not saying they have their decision made yet, but they're getting getting the data as we speak. And you see it every year across the league, right? You have teams that go into that third year, they surround the quarterback with, you know, a Tyreek Hill or a Stephon Diggs or whatever the case may be. And now you kind of have to find out, is this quarterback going to be the guy that we invest around or do we mm -hmm. have to make the move to go get the quarterback like you mentioned? And you did also give me a good transition into my next question for you about the support of that offense with a rookie of the year candidate in Damian Pierce. And I've got something of a two for, twofer for you here. Uh, number one, what makes him so tough to get to the ground? Round, and then two, when teams have limited his production, how did they accomplish that? Well, they're loading the box because they know that he's the best weapon they have. He's their best offensive player. He's broken more tackles than anybody else in the league this year. You know, O'Lyman love blocking for a guy like this who is going to get that yak, and <laughs> he gets it in chunks, man. The guy has been phenomenal. He's a fourth-round pick. And the Gator fans will tell you that they should have used him more in Gainesville. So that, that's a bitter subject. The Texans were in Jacksonville earlier. That's where their one win was. And Pierce had a good day. And they were all saying, man, we're eating our hearts out here because should have used Pierce more in college uh, as the featured back. And he's certainly a featured back in this league. You know, he's still seventh despite coming off a subpar game, to say the least, against Washington. That was the worst game of the season for the running game for the offense in general. But Pierce is a force. He's a factor. And I know the Dolphins coaching staff is well aware of that. Yeah, it's running behind an offensive line that I wanted to ask you about this group, too, because, you know, talking about those guys up front, would you agree with me that that's the strength of the football team? Well, I think the tackles have played well with Titus Howard and Laramie Tunsil, former Miami Dolphin. There's no doubt about that. And they, they're breaking in a rookie, Kenyon Green, at guard at one of the guard spots. And, and he's had some issues, some learning, some lessons. Uh, taking place here and he's had some good moments as well I mean he's a mauler so we'll see how it goes moving forward you know we've seen it here before you know at the tackle position we had Dwayne Brown here back in 2008 I go back that far uh, he was rotating his rookie year a lot of people thought this guy's a bust but then he turns into a perennial pro bowler you know I think with Kenyon Green you're looking at that kind of learning curve here uh, and then at center, they have Scott Quesenberry, who wasn't their starter coming into the campaign. So there have been some struggles there, but, you know, he gives you his his all. And A.J. Can, the former Jaguar at the other guard spot. So I, I think in the interior, that's where the issues have been. But it's not just those guys. It's who they're facing, Travis. We're coming off murderer's row here. <laughs> you saw Jeffrey Simmons with the Titans, Fletcher Cox with the Eagles, then Dexter Lawrence with the Giants. These guys are fire-breathing dragons on the inside. Allen with the Reds with with Washington boy I almost said it with Washington and <laughs> Allen and Payne those two guys in the middle very tough to deal with so the Texans have taken their lumps up the middle and it's affected the running game and also quarterback play because quarterbacks have a difficult time if they can't step up in the pocket as you know so they've got to fix the interior.
Well, I wish I could tell you it gets easier this week, Mark, but we got some dudes inside of our own that can get after the quarterback as well. So we'll see a fun matchup there as well. Good Dwayne Brown mentioned there, who, by the way, is still one of the best left tackles in the NFL <laughs> in 2022. Yeah. You talk about 2008, just kind of a cool nod there, thinking about his longevity and how great he's been. But spinning mm-hmm. this thing over to the defensive side of the ball, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the guys on this side, including those two rookies early in this year's draft. But I want to start and just ask you how you feel some of the young personnel has adapted to this Tampa 2 scheme that Lovey runs. Is it more Tampa 2 infused now that he's the head coach opposed to the D.C.? How do you see them kind of taking that scheme on under him? Okay, so Lovey will be very quick to tell you that it's not just Tampa 2, cover 2. They mix it up. They go single high. They'll do a bunch of different things, but they do do that Tampa 2 stuff on occasion as well. And I think the young players have fared very well for themselves. Look, when you look at the defensive numbers, they're not pretty. They're not going to stand out other than, oh, my gosh, they're at the bottom of the league in so many categories. But I will say this in defense of the defense that they get off the field in the red zone. They're not allowing high point totals. Go look at that end of things. And the offense, I really feel like they'll be the first to tell you as well that they're not holding up their end of the bargain. If they were performing better offensively, the defensive numbers would look a whole lot better. Isn't that always the way it It goes? Because you're not holding on to the ball for long periods of time or long enough, not scoring enough points, not playing with a lead in the second half where you can really put pressure on the opponent with the pass rush because they are a good pass rushing team. But the problem is they're not ahead enough where they force the opponent to have to throw. And I think that's been a major factor for them. But young players... Derek Stingley Jr., a bit banged up right now with the hamstring, but he's had a good campaign. No touchdowns allowed. Jalen Petrie, good-looking safety from Baylor. Kurt Heinisch, undrafted defensive lineman from Notre Dame. He's had some moments. Now they have Christian Harris for the last few games coming in from Alabama, rookie linebacker. He's a really attractive young player. I think they've got a good nucleus here. They're building for the future. It's going to be fun to watch moving forward. I'm glad you mentioned Christian Harris because he really pops on those last couple of tapes I watched, especially that Giants game, man. He was all over the field. Jalen Petrae as well. I mean, it's been fun to watch those guys kind of come into their own. And, uh, you know, one of the beat guys, I think the, the ESPN Houston guy, DJ Bienemy, had mentioned, like, the same thing you said. The numbers, you know, the, the defense is playing better than the numbers will tell you. And I think that's kind of the case when you plug the tape on as well there. And speaking of that, the, the, the pass rush the Texans have generated this year with guys that, you know, Jerry Hughes a couple of years ago kind of had some, some declining numbers, but he's back again this year. I just want to know how the Texans are getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Is it more four-man rush? Is it Jerry Hughes finding the, you know, fountain of youth? What's going on on that front four to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks? You know, Hughes is having a great year. And, and when they got him, I thought, does he have anything left? He's got something left here with eight sacks. He's got seven games to go. I want to see him have the first double-digit sack year for the Texans since 2018 when J.J. Watt did it. Love to see it happen with Jerry Hughes, and he's a local guy. They have several guys from the Houston area, whether young or more seasoned, and it's fun to watch the local players perform. Lovey loves Texans. He's from Texas himself. So Hughes has been good. But I'll say this about the pressure, Travis. Uh, If they can get into obvious opponent pass situations – In a Lovey Smith D, there are going to be opportunities. And it's amazed me since Lovey's been on Texans campus because he was the D.C. last year. I know it was a poor season record-wise, but they got after the quarterback. They'll get into that backfield. They were playing the Eagles here recently on a Thursday nighter. Eagles, at the time, the only undefeated team in the league. And the Texans got four sacks. They were getting after Jalen Hurts. Somehow they find a way. It's the Lovey Smith way. They find a way into the backfield despite that they only rush four on most occasions. 
and it's just the way Lovey handles the coaching duties, the scheme. It all seems to work out for him. That's not an easy quarterback to sack either there, and Jalen Hurts, he is certainly one of the most athletic and mobile quarterbacks we have in the NFL. And Mark, we finish here every single week with our uh, perspective from the opposite sideline. The Texans will win this game if, and then you get a fill in the blank. Well, they have to find a way to convert on third down and keep the offense off the field. I know it sounds obvious, but it, it, it's a third down game to me so often, and especially in the second half. I think in this league, third downs in the second half tell the story because whether you're up or down, if you're ahead, well, you keep the opponent off the field with your third down conversion percentage. If you're behind, well, you got to keep the ball, right? So you got to find a way to score. So to me, it's a third down in the second half game, especially especially this week against the Dolphins and their high-flying, high-scoring attack. I mean, Mike McDaniel was here as basically an intern-type offensive assistant a long time ago, and Rob Sala was here, and LaFleur was here. We had a lot of these guys. Kyle Shanahan was here as the OC. Uh, that whole tree was was blossoming here in Houston once upon a time, so it's been fun to watch Coach McDaniel's progress. So looking forward to a good one on Sunday, Travis. He's got plenty of Andre Johnson stories for us at press conferences. It's really mm -hmm. fun to hear him talk about his past yep. and the many circles he's traveled in the NFL. You can find him on Twitter, at Texans Voice, VP of Texans Broadcasting, Mark with a C, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, you thank you so much for your time today, sir. And like you said, we'll see you on Sunday up in that press box, my friend. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having me on. And there he goes. Big thanks to Mark with a C for coming on the podcast with us here, and we'll see him on Sunday on the call for the Houston Texans Radio Network. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back and get to the sound bites of the week. We've got Mike McDaniel, Josh Boyer, Frank Smith, Matt Applebaum, Tyrone McKenzie, and Stephen Gregory. That's all next on the Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's a Wednesday here on Drive Time, but perhaps you're listening to us on Thursday or Friday or even Saturday, maybe. Either way, we appreciate you being with us here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Let's go ahead and pick this up with our sound bites of the week from head coach Mike McDaniel back on his Monday press conference. He was first asked about the compliment the defensive end Miles Garrett paid the Miami Dolphins, talking about their detailed orientation to everything they do on offense. Here's Coach talking about that compliment from a great player. That's a really cool compliment from uh, uh, one of the better players in the National Football League um, that I think uh, is uh, unfortunately giving uh, myself and the rest of the coaching staff a little too much credit. I think that that's there, uh, there's execution of plays that uh, – to me, what I, what I saw was uh, our players adjusting to uh, really to their adjustments um, in real time, fast, and, and playing um, 100% with conviction. So I think uh, I think that credit um, should really be uh, 
put on the shoulders of the the guys out there really um, owning all the rules and all the all the responsibilities within their own um, within their own assignment. Um, as far as scripting, um, opening plays, the uh, you know never never been one to be light on the amount of plays that you go into a game so that um, you can. Uh, adjust to whatever unforeseen thing um, uh, comes your way. I, it, you know, it's something that uh, you know we got used to doing. Um, uh, you know, would watch uh, Coach Shanahan do it. Um, one, when you start to have any sort of success, being able to adapt to unforeseen game plan stuff, um, which is kind of old hat, and we're kind of used to now. Um, as far as how you script stuff, generally we, we go to the game with an opening 24, um, but that is not including third downs, and that isn't um, 100% like I don't, I don't stick to that. The players, uh, you know, go at, giving an opening 24 plays to the players, the, the point of it is so that you can get another orchestrated walkthrough of – plays that you know you're going to hit and try to hit early um, that sometimes you can abort mission on play six. Um, sometimes you make it all the way through. Sometimes you skip around. Um, but generally, uh, it, it will go into a game with a vision of how uh, we will um, execute our offense. And, and that's something that, um, you know, you work, you, you work tirelessly over the week and you kind of digest um, you know what your players are executing well during the week, and and what you think you're going to get, and you 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 try to do your best in crystal balling, um, but uh, it, it's something that will you know generally it's about twelve runs, twelve passes intermixed, um, and that's pretty consistent every every game. We always get such great detail and insight from head coach Mike McDaniel. He next was asked about where he feels he's developed a level of comfort over the first 10 games as the primary play caller or play designer, as the question was framed. And Coach not only gave us a great answer, but he made sure to, to give us a, a correction on that about it's not just 10 games. Everything we do here counts, so technically it's 13 games. See, I mean, us here with the Miami Dolphins, we're very deliberate in everything we do, so it's technically 13 because the preseason was – was definitely not just a uh, go through the motions type thing when you have a new offense and a so thirteen games in you you know I think there's always stuff you're working on for me um, I I don't think that journey is ever complete necessarily you're always you know you're doing two things at once you are um, you are coaching players up on technique um and making sure that they develop during the season but you're also kind of catering your offense to um you know what the what they're good at um and both of those things kind of work and are intertwined um i i think uh that part i'm always chasing i don't think that i'll ever feel like um all right gold star 
I, I think you can always adjust and think a little outside the box and kind of tailor uh, your your scheme to what your players are really good at. Um, I think there's uh, I'm I'm happy with I think it's an important part of play calling. Um, I've always thought an important part of play calling is minimizing or eliminating emotion out of your decision making, which is very very tough to do. Um, I I've done a better job with that over the course of the season as the season progressed, um, trying to just do things not based upon um, anything but, uh, you know, best decision possible um, and and go from there. Uh, I, I think there's a lot um, – I mean, the list is just long. I, I don't – I'm not very comfortable I, – I, I equate um, feeling a sense of – comfortability uh in my mind it kind of makes me feel like i'm not working hard or lazy so there's all i I don't think there's anything that i'm very very comfortable saying all right i got that um I, i think it i think just admitting that um you're a a fallible human being and trying to do your best is very liberating and also it does get the best out of you um, because it frees you from feeling like you need to be perfect so across the board um, I would hope and uh, I I would hope that grading myself um, I would I the the best stuff is way in front of me and um, the you guys have seen the worst and haven't hated me for it if you want to find these availabilities in their entirety go ahead and go to the miami dolphins youtube channel they give great detailed answers each week especially with coach and the ocs i mean we're going to go ahead and get to frank smith here next i had to be selective because both he and coach boyer are so detailed and so educational that we don't have a lot of time to get to it all here but i want to play the story from frank smith's perspective of offense through the first 10 games of the season, and then we'll hear from Josh Boyer and his story of the defense so far through the first 10 games of the season. Um, I think, I mean, it's really a kind of a story of an NFL season. I mean, you have success, then you have your adversity, and then how do you respond to that? And then you really manage things game by game, and then you try and make it not too big, all right, not make it too small. You try and really just understand that the most uh, – precious thing we have in professional sports is the present and you maximize that uh that's when you bank days to allow you to be able to play in important games like hopefully right now we're building towards and i think the story of the season for the offense is responding to the challenge uh responding to the standard that was set in spring by the players by everyone together and it's just been awesome to watch them respond to an nfl season together and you know the the characters are ever changing in the stories. There are some constants, but you know, ultimately, it's you know, if you have a great script, you know, you need the great actors to fulfill to make the lines come to life, and that's kind of really been this season. You're seeing the story of of our actors taking the script to life, and um, you know, hopefully, we can take these last couple games, really the month of November, and really kind of finish off the month the way we want it to to, to end, and then now get into the game month of December where, you know, 
everything matters. And of course, with Coach Josh Boyer, Dolphins defensive coordinator. I, th- I think we're still evolving. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think we've played our best ball yet, and I think I think we're getting closer and closer to that. Um, I, I think it's all situational. Um, you know, I, I think uh, there's things that, that we've done well on early downs. There's some things that we can improve. I think, uh, you know, uh, third down uh, is something that we'll continue to work on and get better at. Um, and, you know, two-minute situations, you know, sometimes things don't come up in games, but, you know, the, there's things that you put work in because you never know when they will. And sometimes, you know, they could be the biggest situations in the game. So, I think, you know, it's evolving. I, I think the the common theme has been that our players have welcomed adversity. They have not changed. They have not wavered uh, their work ethic. The time that they put into it outside of what's required of them has been pretty impressive. And uh, I think those guys have, have done a pretty good job. And I think, you know, we're all continuing to try to get better. From the coordinators on to the position coaches, we go to the defensive backs area, and in particular the safeties room with Steve Gregory, Dolphins safeties coach, who was asked about Javon Holland's versatility. Here's coach on his star second-year safety. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he has an, an, an all-around skill set that allows him to move around the field, and you can use him in different you know, places, and, and you want to be able to do that. I mean, you don't want to just pigeonhole a guy and put him in one spot on the field, especially a player of his caliber um, and the potential that he has to impact a game. You, tr- you want to try to find different areas and different spots throughout the game uh, to utilize that stuff, and um, he's doing a good job with that. You know, Again, he's another very intelligent, smart player that understands our system and, and, and is continually growing each week. We'll go back to the offensive side of the football before finishing up on defense with outside linebackers coach Ty McKenzie. Let's go to the offensive line and the ever well-spoken, entertaining Matt Applebaum who was asked about Rob Jones. And I wanted to play this short sound clip for you guys because I love his second sentence here after he says Rob Jones is a powerful guy. Yeah, I mean, Rob Jones is a powerful guy. You know, he can move people against their will. Um, He does a good job anchoring and pass protection. Um, I think he's just a, a physical player. Um, he was worked really hard. He's, he's, um, he understands what we're trying to get done, you know. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's brought a lot to the table. Bringing a lot to the table is a nice transition to our Thanksgiving content coming your way here in just a second. But first, let's go ahead and finish up with, speaking of bringing lots to the table, Ty McKenzie's outside linebackers are playing their butts off this year. He was asked about the newest one of the bunch. Well, I shouldn't say that because we brought back Brian Scarlett, but the newest headline addition in terms of the trade with Bradley Chubb. Coach was asked about what stands out about the person in Bradley Chubb, but also the physical skill set, what he brings to the field. Here's Ty McKenzie on Dolphins outside linebacker Bradley Chubb. All right, from a personal standpoint, uh, his willingness to get better. You know, one thing about him when he came in, you know, he had a couple things on his mind of, like, areas of focus that he needs to improve on. And then I had mine, and we kind of put it together. And uh, his willingness to work ethic and to want to get better to really, um, you know, maximize his potential. Um, On the field, uh, I would say his, um, you know, things that we saw on tape, you know, his ability to bend, to attack, to find edges, to work edges on offensive tackles, um, and I think that he's just only going to get better. Just keep working with him. And um, this goes back to one thing that I love out, off the field, is which is just his willingness to get better every day. There you go. Great stuff from the assistants as well as Mike McDaniel. Let's go ahead and take our second break, and we'll come back with the Week 12 picks as well as your mailbag questions. That's next, Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The picks are going very well recently. It goes this way every year. I go like 500 the first few weeks, like eight and six, eight and six, some, you know, 10 and six weeks, stuff like that. But then once you kind of get a feel for the season, week eight, 13 and two, week nine, nine and four, week 10, 10 and four, week 11, 11 and three, which brings our season record up to 111, 52 and one, which is just under 69, nice percent. And I think I mentioned a goal of 75% before the season. That was crazy. Let's bring it back down to the undefeated 72 Dolphins, which means we need a bunch of more really good weeks here. And we kick it off here with Thanksgiving Day. And we have the results that we want, right? But we don't always get those. I still wish that Buffalo-Cleveland game had been played in the six feet of snow. I think we could have had a favorable result as Dolphins fans if that was the case. It was not. But we do get Buffalo on the road again back in that same building in Detroit. And the Lions are frisky, man. They're playing some good football. Maybe they can put another L up on the Bills this year. That would be helpful, but I'm not going to pick it. I'm going to take Buffalo over Detroit on Thanksgiving. Also going to take the home team in the Dallas and the Giants game. Uh, I think one of those teams is a true, true contender. I think the other is not that. Uh, Minnesota over the Patriots. We talked about the nature of that Patriots and Jets game kind of setting football back about 20 years as far as offense goes, or I should say 70 years as far as offense goes, but it is a good defense. I do wonder about non-one o'clock Kirk Cousins. We get a great chance to see him in prime time on Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to that game, man. I, I love these games. Like everyone gets all excited about like, you know, Chiefs and Chargers and the high-flying, you know, quarterbacks and all that stuff. Don't throw fourth quarter picks to lose games. And you know, all these matchups of the high-powered offenses like and the best teams in the league, I kind of like these. I'm not saying the Patriots and Vikings are this, but like I like the matchups trying to battle for playoff positioning. In the Vikings' case, they're going to be the NFC North champions, but I just like this Vikings and Patriots matchup, and I'm thinking the Vikings to win it over the Patriots. Where is that game? Let me look it up live here real quick. On the air on a podcast, that game is going to be played... Oh, geez, Travis. Oh, gosh. Hit the ad. Should we edit it out? No, let's keep it in. It's in Minnesota, so in the friendly confines of U.S. Bank Stadium. The next contest, we're going to take the Dolphins over the Texans. I'll take the Bengals over the Titans. I don't feel great about that. It is in Nashville, but I think I think the Bengals will get that one. Give me the Broncos over the Panthers. The Bears, if Justin Fields plays over the Jets. If not, give me the Jets big in that one. But I like the Bears if Fields is out there. Give me the Falcons over the Commanders. I don't feel great about that game either direction. Give me the Bucks over the Browns. I'll take the Ravens over the Jaguars. The Seahawks over the Raiders. Cardinals and Chargers. Oh, boy. Let's do the Cardinals there. Maybe they'll get Kyler Murray back and they can beat the Chargers. Give me the Niners over the Saints. How nice is it, by the way, to not have to root against the Niners anymore? It's a good football team, man. That's a stressful endeavor. I remember that 2020 season rooting against the Texans was stressful because they were in so many games with their high-powered offense, and eventually it played out perfectly for us. In fact, the Texans finishing you know third to last that year basically got us 
Jalen Waddell, an additional first-round pick that turned into Tyreek Hill, and more first-round picks that turned into Bradley Chubb. So that was very beneficial. But I'm glad to not have to root against the Niners anymore because that is a good good football team. Give me the Chiefs over the Rams. I'll take the Eagles over the Packers. And then on Monday night football, oof, ESPN, ouch. Steelers over the Colts, I think. Don't feel great about it. Those are your week 12 picks and happy Thanksgiving. Can we just talk about how great Thanksgiving is? It's everything you could possibly want. And how about the slate of games this year? Probably one of my, one of the better three game sets we've had in a while. I think two years ago, they canceled the night game. Last year, I think we had... We get a lot of blowouts in those night games, don't we? Wasn't there a Saints and Falcons game a couple of years ago that was like a 40-point runaway or something? Uh, I just really, I always, whether it's the Dolphins biasing me or not, I just always like watching the Bills, Jets, and Patriots regardless of the circumstances because I want chaos. It's why I love that Jets and Patriots game because the quarterback narrative was fun for us, right? The fact that the team that lost that propelled us into first place in the division was fun for us. And just watching those two teams that you know so well, if they struggle in certain areas, is obviously <laughs> intriguing for us as Dolphins fans. But just watching the devil, you know, I suppose, is my whole point there. Plus, in most cases, I don't have family down here, but you know, you get to hang out with people you love, eat a bunch of good food, maybe you have some spirits, maybe you do some other stuff as well. Uh, one of the best days of the year, my favorite of the year for sure. We picked the 12, week 12 games already. And with that, let's go ahead and get to your mailbag questions here on this edition of the Draft Time Podcast. Three questions. I'll have a written piece for you up on MiamiDolphins.com as well. And this first one here comes in from Goddamn Bear, one of my longtime followers here back to the Locked On Dolphins days, a good buddy uh, in the DMs as well. How we doing, man? How exciting is it to see Miami competing for the one seed as we approach December? T-Dub, not many people call me that still these days. That was a high school nickname. Uh, T-Dub. I don't think words can describe it in the sense that you're seeing this team compete in a way that really it hasn't in like decades. I mean, since Dan Marino with an offense that you can put out there and just feel confident that if you need a score, regardless of how much time is on the clock, how many timeouts you might have, what defense you're playing against, the down and distance, third and 22, he's got Waddle. I just haven't personally seen that since I was barely in grade school for those mid-90s teams led by Marino and McDuffie. But the way the modern NFL is constructed, and you know we talk about this all the time in the podcast, is that defense is not like sustainable against the best offenses, but the best offenses will always score on good defenses. That's the way I see the league. Maybe you don't agree with it, but I think we see that time and time again in the postseason, like the Bills and Chiefs game last year those were two good defenses in that game especially Buffalo's and it just didn't matter so knowing that you have an offense that can score anytime they touch the football is awesome it's just awesome going into every game knowing that because of that you have a fighter's chance and expect guys to go out and execute not just on offense but on defense too but if you can keep winning and start to kind of you know peek at the standings now that we're heading into December like you said I will say it's just nice to not be scoreboard watching the column on the right, right? The in the hunt column. Like the other night, I was hoping the Chargers could hold off the Chiefs because that would propel Miami to the number one seed opposed to rooting for, well, the Chiefs are locked into a division title and a one or two seed. Let's hope they win all their games against these middling teams and knock down the wild card contenders. We can sneak in and maybe have a fighter's chance as 10 point dogs on the road in the wild card round. That's changed. Like expectations should change. Scoreboard watching to me has always been one of my favorite things to track and having it this year where you're taking a look at what are the Bills doing? What are the Chiefs doing? Oh, it's awesome. I I can't even describe it, man. It's so much fun. It's very similar to, 
you know, the way that I felt about um, our off-season program. If you guys recall, I gave, um, you know, the most time off to the players that, I don't know, uh, that I've been around, that I'd experienced. I know they had experienced. Um, and I, I gave it to them because I felt they deserved it because they won the first quarter. I thought that they won the first quarter of a game. Um, being in whatever place at this state stage of the season is cool because each and every win, which puts you in first place, is hard-earned, not given. Um, and so it is like winning another quarter um, of a game. But does that mean anything? I mean, it all depends on how you handle it. Um, I think... Uh, there is an element once you get closer to the end of the season um, that you feel pride in controlling your destiny. I think that it, that is a cool deal, but at the same time, um, is it totally necessary to achieve your goals? It's not. Um, the point is, is that you continue to progress. So um, if I'm super fired up, to be where we're at right now if we continue to progress as a football team. Um, I think the last, uh, the last game you guys saw, you felt a little more um, complete contribution from the team that uh, the, uh, we were hitting on um, uh, in one way, shape, or form in each phase. That doesn't mean each phase was null of a of a miscue or whatever, but you felt a team um, execution win, and that's a that's a cool spot um, game ten for that to occur. Um, but w literally nobody gives two about who's the week ten champion. So um, it, it it's an accomplishment that isn't one that we're chasing, nor does anyone give, nor does it matter, um, except in the moment and how you use it. So I'm, I'm happy um, where we're at. I've been first place and won the division um, after 10 weeks and been in last place after um, 10 weeks and won the division. So um, it's neither here nor there uh, as long as we keep moving in the appropriate trajectory. I'll be good with it. From at AMW22C, where do you see Cater Kohu's role in the defense when Nick Needham returns next season? Correct me if I'm wrong, but both are best in the slot, so what's the best move for the Dolphins there? Well, the old adage says you can never have enough corners, right? Or pass rushers, or receivers, or offensive linemen. The new adage should be that depth is not only great, it's a requirement. This is a physical sport that's going to cause nicks and bruises, and having depth at key spots is nothing but a fantastic feather in the cap of your personnel staff, of your coaching staff for getting those guys up and ready. And remember, they keep 53 guys for a reason. I hate it when people say that like certain players you know, cost teams wins and shouldn't be part of a game. Like, No, they're on the team because they can help the team win. Now, Cater Kohu is under contract next year, so we'll see what happens in the offseason at that position with kind of, you know, a cornerback room that was just killed by injuries this year. And with Nick Needham coming off of his one-year deal he had this year, we don't know if he'll be back next year or not. As for their usage, 
Cater has played 121 snaps on the perimeter, and I think he's well-equipped to do that. I, I think it's Needham, I would I would keep Needham inside for his skill set, but I think Cater can play outside a little bit, and I think he's only going to get better at that. It's tough to project what's going to happen in March with so much of the season still to go, but I think the takeaway is that it's a great problem to have, potentially to have, I should say, especially with Cater on that UDFA second-year player contract next year. From at Abdisphere, your Thanksgiving sides power rankings or compare the Thanksgiving dinner staples, turkey, green bean casserole, sweet potatoes, to current Dolphins players and why. What a perfect way to end the podcast this week. So I've got a pretty direct Thanksgiving meal directive, for lack of a better word. To me, you need five things, and every meal needs to come with a side of Diet Coke or Pepsi. So that's a given. But five things you have to have for Thanksgiving, and you can get rid of everything else, but you have to have these five. Turkey, duh. Stuffing or dressing, whatever we're calling it, also pretty duh. Mashed potatoes, probably duh. But here's the key that I think most folks, not most folks, some folks don't agree with. And my brother who listens to the podcast now and then, so Ryan, if you're listening to me, get some damn gravy in your life, man. You got to have gravy for turkey because it's a dry meat. You got to have for the potatoes because they can be dry as well. So you got to have gravy to bring it all together. And then also the fifth thing is the green bean casserole. I'll take a dinner roll, but it's not an essential. Those five things are essential, but literally nothing else is required except for my diet soda. Now the Dolphins players as the essential, that's a great question. I'll use the ones that I mentioned as my own essential. So Tua is the turkey, right? The turkey sets up everything else to be successful. It elevates the game of the potatoes, of the stuffing, of the casserole. So the quarterback is our centerpiece. Let's call Tehran, Connor, and the offensive line. The stuffing just sounds right. But if you do it right, the stuffing goes inside the turkey when it gets cooked. So they're operating as one, and Tua and the offensive line are as one in pass pro, and the offensive line with Raheem or Jeff or Savon or Miles are one in the same in that running back blocking relationship. So that makes sense in my head, although saying it out loud, maybe not as much. I don't know. Hopefully it did. I was originally going to call Tyreek the stuffing for the fact that he's taken that leadership role and kind of just, you know, give me the spotlight. Don't talk about other things with the Dolphins. Talk about Tyreek Hill and how that's kind of helped, I think, a lot in a lot of ways and just been a great representative of the team in that way. But we got to call cheetah and penguin the mashed potatoes and gravy because you can't separate them you have to have them together when i eat a thanksgiving feast the taters and gravy are part of every single bite and what better comp for a pair of wide receivers who are pacing towards one of the most productive one-two punches the league has ever seen every single play is impacted by tyreek and Jalen. therefore they are mashed taters and gravy and then we'll go ahead and just call the entire defense the green bean casserole since it's this collection of ingredients that work well together. And if you take away one part, it's not going to be the same to make this phenomenal dish. The way we need everyone run to the football, all these versatile playmakers, you need each element of the green bean casserole and of the Miami Dolphins defense or else the whole thing falls apart. But yeah, man, Thanksgiving is undefeated. I hope everybody enjoys it and more importantly, enjoys what it's all about. And that's spending time with the people you hold dearest. Enjoy the food, enjoy the games, enjoy your people, and we'll talk to you all again on Sunday night to recap Dolphins and Texans. That's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Fish Tank Podcast, Seth and Juice, Post Game Show, 560 WQAM. Once the game ends, we are on local radio and on the Odyssey app as well. I know a lot of you guys have been asking about the podcast version of that. 
I'm trying to get that solved. I haven't got it figured out yet. It's not really my place, but I'm asking questions to the people uh, in place to make that happen. Also, the international podcast on the network. I'm appearing on the Brazilian podcast, the Portuguese-speaking one, I believe, next week. And then also the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, some fish tank and drive time content as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home.